0: You know, whenever I hear that song about the valley, I'm reminded of Psalms 23. The reminder that God is with us, that he walks with us through those valleys, through those challenging times. And that's certainly where David finds himself today. Because David is being hunted by Saul. He's being chased. And in 1 Samuel 23, he finds himself walled in the gates of a little city called Kelia. First Samuel chapter 23, verse 7 then saul was told that david had gone to kelia and he said god has delivered him into my hand for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars clearly saul feels like he's finally got david he's stuck in a city with gates and bars. In fact, archaeologists have found the location of Kelia and we found several similar gates and barred cities during that time period. In fact, around 1049 BC, we find some gates like this right here. Now imagine you're in a city. You're walled in there. You're behind the doors. You're fearful of what's outside the doors, what might kill you, what might be after you right? Have you ever felt shut in and walled in? How could we not right now? But metaphorically, have you ever felt walled in, shut in by your fears, by your circumstances, or just by the challenges around you? In fact, there's an obelisk, which is like a rock that somebody carves an image on that was found from the similar time period as Kelia. So look at this uh, image carved in here, it might be a little bit hard to see, so let me highlight it here for you. You can see the city, the giant gated walls, and here is that gate you would have entered through. Now, a gate was typically a place that invited you in, it was a place that said, Welcome to the city. But when you're trapped in the city, those same gates and walls make you feel like I am isolated, I am stuck. I don't know when or who's going to come after me at what time, right? And that's where David finds himself. David is thinking to himself, my enemies are abounding. All the priests just got killed from last week. I might be next, except that I'm safeguarded by God. But God's silence is seemingly going up. His circumstances are seemingly going down And it's here he begins to seek after God's voice. In fact, all through 1 Samuel 23 is that very idea. Notice what God says. It shows how David is seeking after God's voice in those moments he feels walled in. Therefore David, in verse 2, inquired of the Lord. God, I need your help here. What should I do in these circumstances? But then you jump down to verse four. Then David inquired of the Lord once again. It's this reoccurring relationship with God. I need your help during these challenging times. And notice that even in God's silence, God is helping David navigate his circumstances. Saul sought him every day. Every day it's Walden. Every day it's being hunted. Every day Saul was after him. But God did not deliver him into his hand. How can we do what David did? How can we learn to seek after God's voice? Seek after God's direction when we're going through challenging times well today we're going to look at David what was he really seeking after when he was speaking to God and then we're going to look at Saul who seemingly is also seeking after God's word and how can two people who are both seeking or inquiring of God come to two totally different perspectives all right let's start with David all right let's look at the text Then they told David, saying, look, the Philistines, oh, it's bad enough. David's David's saying, it's bad enough Saul's after me. The Philistines are coming too? Yeah. The Philistines are fighting against Kelia, the very place we're at. And they are robbing the threshing floors. Now remember, this is an agricultural community. And because of that, all year long, you, you, you plant, you water, you got all of your crops ready to go. And then the big moment comes when you thresh or bring all of your harvest to bear. This is your food. This is your sustenance for the rest of the year. And that's when the Philistines would attack. They would come in and steal all of your supplies at the moment you had the most, needed the most, And we're most vulnerable. You talk about feeling walled in. They need this food to survive. All right, so that's what's going on here. Now notice, they're coming after the threshing floor. Therefore, in the middle of this moment, I don't know where I'm gonna eat. I don't know what's gonna happen. It's those moments that David inquired of the Lord, saying, well, God, what do you want me to do? Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord answered David. He didn't presume, It probably sounds like something God wants me to do. Though it would have been. Sounds like people robbing and stealing from your people. Of course God wants me to do that. He didn't presume that. Instead, he said, I want to ask for God's direction. Now a few things I want to touch on here. Who are the Philistines? Uh, let's look a little at at Kilia a little bit more. And also, what does a threshing floor look like? All right, a couple pictures here. First one of the Philistines. Now the Philistines were known as the sea people because they were very, very cultured. And though many have moved inward, they also very much were just masters at using ships out on the sea. The other thing you wanna know about the Philistines is that they are very, very wealthy, very, very rich, and very, very cultured. Every time we find an archaeological find, we find examples of extreme uh, decoration, extreme clothes, and a real deep sense of of culture uh, all around the Philistine area. All right. Notice here, even in this photograph, you see a Philistine in this little molded piece. And look at the, the headdress that's on there, the hat. That's a classic example of the type of influence, the type of culture found in archaeological finds with the Philistines. Now this tell, and a tell is like a mountain where a city used to be. Whenever they built a city, they would put it on top of a mountain so it could be fortified. This is the archaeological remains of the tell where Kelia was, where David was hiding. Now remember, the Philistines are surrounding them to take away the threshing floor. Well, there was so much agricultural area where people would be bringing their, their crops to bear They would get all of their crops and bring them to the threshing floor. And on the threshing floor was all your supplies, all your money, all your sustenance for the next year. So imagine, here's your grain. Here's what you need. And it's just about to be taken away. So two responses. One from David's men and one from David. Response number one. This is the God, I'll do what you say. I'm going to go. But could I suggest something else? Then the Lord said to David, go. Right? God answers, go. Go attack those Philistines. Yeah, it might put you at risk of being killed by Saul, but go and do the right thing. Go and attack the Philistines. Save Kelia. Put yourself at risk for other people. But... Oh, see the go but? But David's men said to him, I know God's saying this, but I'm not so sure. Look, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Kelia against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord once again. So notice again, he hears from God. He hears other people in his life say, yeah, I'm not sure we should do that. So again, he seeks after God God my men aren't sure about this how do i lead them through these challenging times of uncertainty God i need your help what god wants from us what god wants from you is whatever circumstance you're in he wants you to say god i'm seeking after you i'm seeking after your advice what god just longs to hear from us what he wants to come out of our mouths and our heart is god i'm willing to go And maybe eliminate the go but tendency we all have. So notice, he's inquired of the Lord twice here, and notice how he responds in contrast to his men. They say go but, what does he say? He says, God, you're telling me to go? And I went. God, you say go. Yeah, I'm gonna face my fear. Yeah, there's gonna be challenges, but I went. The Lord said, Arise, go down to Kelia, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went. We got fears. uh, We got some questions. We're not sure about everything. But God, if you're with us, we're going to obey. So David and his men went to Kelia, and they fought against the Philistines, and they struck them with a mighty blow, and they took away their livestock. And David saved the inhabitants of Kelia. Now it's in this short little story that sets up the rest of the chapter, we get a principle for seeking after God. Now what is that? David. David is seeking God to say whatever he God wants. Now sometimes we seek after God to say what we want to hear. But what if the attitude of our heart is, God, I'm seeking after you to say whatever you want to say, not what I want to hear. God, I don't really want to fight a battle that puts me in danger, that puts me out on the front lines where Saul might find me. But God, I'm open that your will will be done, not my will will be done. How about you, when you seek after God, I don't know if you're like me. I have a tendency to to know what I want God to answer. I want uh, comfort. I want no one to steal the threshing floor. I'd like things to get easier. I'd like more and more clarity, right? It's natural. But with God's seeking after the Lord, the attitude of our heart is, God, I want your will to be done and if that means you've got to put me through a meat grinder or you've got to put me through challenging circumstances to learn what it is, to, to inquire of you and to depend on you, oh, God, I'd rather have your will be done than my will be done. So let's do that. In your current circumstances, with your current walls and fortified cities, Philistines and Saul's, what would it look like to begin to pray daily? Every time you face those oppositions and challenges, what would it look like for you to say, God, I'm seeking you to say whatever you want to say to me in these circumstances? I got a front row seat of this recently. It was so powerful when I got on the phone and talked to my uncle Jim. Let me tell you what happened because it began with a conversation on the phone. I probably talk to my Uncle Jim maybe once or twice a year, but he's been a huge fan of Horizon and a huge fan of the Bible teaching we do here. In fact, Jim has characterized and categorized and outlined every CD that has been sent to him at his home for the last 18 years. Titles, topics, And he passes them out to all of his friends. And so he occasionally called me and I told him this year that we finally got an app. And with that, we finally started categorizing them in a way that everyone could listen to our messages. I said, that thing, Jim, that you started 18 years ago, that passion of yours to take the Bible and hand it out is something that's happening now daily. So thank you for your passion and your encouragement. But that wasn't the topic that brought me on the phone that day. In fact, Uncle Jim has cancer. And the cancer is in its probably final stages. He's got stomach cancer and he can't eat and he's lost about 100 pounds. And as I was talking on the phone with him that day, I was just amazed at how he was seeking after God And had this incredible joy in the middle of horribly tragic circumstances. He said, Chad, I don't know if I have a few weeks or a few months or even a few years to live. But I tell you what I'm excited about. Like, What are you excited about? He said, I am so excited about seeing mom and dad again. My grandma and grandpa. You know, I remember when my grandfather passed away, I was in sixth grade, I loved my grandpa Larry. Was in post-college, early 20 years, I lost my grandmother. And just having this conversation with my uncle Jim, I, I called him to encourage him with his cancer. And he just talked with such confidence and such joy about seeing his parents, my grandparents again. It just brought up all these incredible memories. And I felt like God was telling me about three weeks ago, Chad, I want you to go see Uncle Jim. And I did. I got in the car and I drove to central Illinois, met up with my parents, and we drove to northern Illinois to the hometown of my grandparents. And we decided to have some time with my Uncle Jim. We decided to spend that time at the graveyard, which might seem kind of morbid but I hadn't seen my grandmother and grandfather's grave in about 20 years. So that's where we met. In fact, It was kind of interesting if you'd walked in that day or been driving around the graveyard, you would see my mom, my dad and I, standing over the grave of my grandmother, Eileen Eltravoke, and my grandfather, Larry. We set up lawn chairs all around that gravesite, and my Uncle Jim began to ask me questions. About heaven what happens when you die how he could know for sure what the experience would be like when he passed away And it wasn't a morbid it wasn't uh discouraging it wasn't uh awkward conversation at all we began to talk about the hope of heaven and he was seeking after god in the middle of these incredibly difficult circumstances and we were just encouraging one another and and cheering on the bible's hope That though he can't eat what he wants to eat right now, the promise of Jesus is a brand new body. Jim, you get to eat again. You get to see grandma and grandpa again. To be absent from the body is to immediately present with the Lord. We got done talking together and some other folks were in the graveyard and I had them take that photo of of the four of us sitting around grandma and grandpa's grave. And I said, you know, the rapture tells us that when Jesus comes and captures Those of us who've died in Christ, the dead in Christ will rise first. Grandma and grandpa who are already in heaven will get brand new bodies on that day. And we who are alive during that time will meet Jesus in the air. With brand new bodies and brand new minds. And no more sickness and no more pain. And my uncle began to just talk about his struggles with addiction. His struggles with doing things he didn't want to do and yet his heart was always to do god i really wish i'd stop doing these dumb things he was excited about a new body he was excited about no cancer but he was most excited about his finally being in a body and a mind and a heart that did what he wanted to do (laughs) didn't do what he didn't want to do which is why we're trapped in this experience how about you Are you able to seek after God even when you're in circumstances where you feel walled in by cancer, walled in by the Philistines, or hunted by Saul? I was inspired by my Uncle Jim. I want to seek after God to hear whatever he wants to say to me in my circumstances as well. Well, how about Saul? Let's go back to the text. What what does Saul do that's in contrast to this? What does it look like for us to seek God to say whatever we want him to say? Right? Look what happens next. Now it happened. When Abiathar, the son of Elimelech, fled to David at Kelia, remember he's the one that all of his family got killed, all the priests, that he went down with an ephod in his hand, This was an instrument for seeking after God. And Saul was told that David had gone to Kelia. So Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand. Look at that. God has delivered him into my hand. Now, there are many times we look at our circumstances. We look at what we want. And in Saul's case, it's, I want to kill David. He sees David cornered into a a gated city and he presumes he knows God's will. I know this is God. I know this is God finally delivering my enemies. I know exactly what God's will is. But let me challenge you on this. If God always sounds just like you, If God always sounds just like what you wanted him to say, what you needed him to say, maybe it's not God if he always sounds just like you, right? That's why I noted here, when God told me what I wanted to hear, were you really seeking God's voice or for God to tell you your own voice? For he has, and here's his reason why he thinks this is God. It's got to be God delivering David, for he has shut himself in by entering a town by the gates and by the bars. Now we know from the rest of the story, this is not God delivering David into his hands. But Saul's not seeking God to say whatever he wants, he's seeking God to say whatever I want. So Saul called all the people together. I got to tell you what God just told me. For war, it's wartime. Let's go down to Kelia to besiege David and all his men. He feels like God's told him what to do to go to battle. Now David sought after God, should I go to battle? Saul, on the other hand, presumes he can interpret the circumstances correctly and that God happens to be saying exactly what he wanted to hear. Now David on the other hand, and I think this is a good indication that maybe God might be speaking to you. Do you have reoccurrences that you're hearing something that you didn't expect? I didn't expect God to tell me to love my enemies to do good to those who've treated me so poorly. That doesn't sound like something that's coming from me. <laughs> that might be coming from God. That's kind of the experience David has here. When David knew that Saul plotted evil against him, he said to Abiathar the priest, well, bring the ephod here. And David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard some bad stuff that Saul seeks to come to Caleb to destroy the city for my sake. What do you want me to do? Now this ephod was typically worn by the priests. And all through the Bible, it doesn't really tell us you're supposed to use it to seek after God. It was this emblem that had different stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. So it seems like he brings this along with as a representation of God, and David uses it to seek after God. Now, in one sense, using this to help connect with God doesn't seem to be sinful, but also is not what's prescribed. The ephod was more to be symbolic of bringing the 12 tribes. I represent all 12 tribes as a priest when I come into God's presence. I don't think he's necessarily sinful in how he's using it, but I also don't think it's necessarily built for that or designed for that anywhere in Leviticus or Deuteronomy. But here's the point of what he's doing right. I've heard bad circumstances. I heard Saul's out to get me. And I'm again inquiring, praying, and seeking God's wisdom here. That's what God wants from us. He doesn't presume, guy's out to kill me, I ought to kill him. God, what do you want me to do in these circumstances? Right? So back to the text. Will the men of Kelia deliver me into the hand? So he's asking God, Th- those, those guys have been my enemies in Kelia for a while. Are they going to deliver me into my hand if I head down there? Is Saul going to come down as your servant has heard? And the Lord says to him, oh, so he says, "Oh Lord, O God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant I need to hear from you. And the Lord said, he will come down. He's coming after you. Well, that's not what I wanted to hear. Well, I know it's not what you wanted to hear, but it's the truth. Saul is coming to get you things are going to get bad and worse well man oh, that might be god because it doesn't sound like me right he will come down and david said will the men of, De- of kelia deliver me and my men into the hand of saul and the lord said they will deliver you so two things are striking here things you wouldn't expect God to say, the things that wouldn't have been in David's heart that he wanted to hear. Number one, yes, I'm being hunted. Oh, I don't want to hear that. And two, my previous enemies are going to deliver me because of the way I delivered them from the Philistines. Right? Do you see the contrast between David and Saul here? Saul's seeking God to say whatever he wants to hear. David's seeking God to say whatever God wants to say. And that's the problem with Saul here. When we begin to seek God, if he says whatever I want him to say. Now, often we get a front row seat to see exactly what this looks like. In fact, I had a conversation recently where I got to see just our our human tendency to lie to ourselves. You know, it's during this uh, COVID pandemic that I've been meeting with several people out on the terrace under our giant tent. As we've been having conversations, I had a chat a few weeks ago with a guy who wanted to share with me that he had got himself into some trouble. And he had started to walk his way down toward an affair. As we were chatting together, I just shared with him, I said, well, How serious do you think this relationship is that you are pursuing being unfaithful to the person you're with? He said, well, you know, it's a big deal. I said, well, scale one to ten. Ten being super serious, one being not real serious. Oh, probably a five. A five. I remember thinking to myself, wow, I have sat with so many men, and women for that matter, who are convinced That the affair they're pursuing is God's will for their life. You're like, really? I said, huh. Well, do you believe that God wants you to be faithful? Yeah. Do you think that you should be dating two people at the same time? Well, in normal circumstances, probably not. Okay well do you take commitment seriously well yeah but I didn't do anything but hadn't you scheduled the rendezvous to head down to a certain place at a certain time on a certain date at a certain hotel isn't that what you just told me yeah sounds like you were pretty far on your way to the affair it's like well I guess you have a point I'm like yeah and as we're talking i just kept asking him question after question after question and after about an hour together he's like i'm being really selfish aren't i I'm like yeah uh, I, i'm i'm doing the wrong thing I'm like yeah it was like it took all those questions all communicate hopefully with a lot of grace and a lot of care and a lot of concern to try and help somebody who really had taught themselves or or, or told themselves they were seeking God's will when they were actually seeking something totally out of God's will. We got to the end of the conversation when he said, "I, I guess I'm just being super selfish. I'm like, yeah, you are. And God wants to forgive you for that, but also put some leadership in your life so that you can ask for forgiveness So you can find out what's broken in you that's led you to this place and how you've been able to compromise and justify all these things and worse, think that God is blessing it rather than trying to convict you for it. I said, wow, that's exactly what I need to do. I walked away from the tent that day and I didn't think to myself, whew, so glad I'm not like that guy instead what i said is oh god help me there's something in me that's just like that guy and there's something in you the same way see we need to realize that our ability to talk ourselves into anything and then tell ourselves that god's told us to do it is shockingly normal we need to regularly pray to god regularly seek out the bible regularly get access to truth and that's why we as a church are, try, are trying to help you, give you tools to seek after God. We need people in our life to keep our alignment back on track. To be more like David and less like Saul. Well, Let me share with you the key takeaway. It's, it's really a question. The question is, are you seeking God's will or your own? And God will often use four different spheres to bring about his will in your life. And they're not spheres I prefer, but they're ones he continually uses. God uses wilderness. God uses unusual people. God uses promises from the past. And God uses hardship to show us his will for our life. Let me give you an example. David and his men, about 600, arose and departed from Kelia and they went wherever they could go then it was told saul that david had escaped from kelia and he halted the expedition and david stayed in the strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains in the wilderness of ziph saul sought him every single day just kept on coming kept on coming but god did not deliver him into his hand what do we see here continued challenges continued hardship right? Wilderness. He's wandering through the wilderness in God's will, though he's being hunted. So David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life, and David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a forest. So they arose and went to Ziph before Saul, and David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon in the plain of the south of jerishmon Notice again, wilderness of Ziph, wilderness of man there are times we go through wilderness wilderness are those dry spells in your life where you just wonder these are not the circumstances i want this is not what i hoped for or prayed for i feel alone i feel god's silence and yet god works through wilderness to teach us his will and what do those wildernesses look like? Well, here's a picture of the wilderness of Ziph. Here's where he's wandering around in the wilderness. And then Saul chases him there. So he ends up wandering around through a much, much more barren place called the wilderness of Maon. You ever felt like you're there? Felt like you're not in God's will? God wants you in the wilderness to seek his will, not your own. God uses unusual people to show you his will. What are the people in your life, friends and enemies, whose voices God might use to teach you his will for your life? See, Jonathan, Saul's son, that's unusual. The guy who should be threatened by David is instead one of the voices to David. He arose and he went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. Who would have thought that Saul's son would be the very one who strengthened him? The same thing is true for you. Look for people in your life that you might not even expect that God might want to encourage you, affirm you, and strengthen you in God. Wilderness, unusual people, also promises. And he said to him, this is Jonathan talking, do not fear. Remember, God's with you. For the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. How could could dad find you when your heavenly father's for you. You shall be king over Israel. Remember the promise from Samuel? And I shall be next to you, even my father knows that. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord and David stayed in the woods and Jonathan went to his own house. I love this. Jonathan is reminding David during his wilderness moments, keep seeking God and remember the promise. Samuel anointed you with oil. You will be the next king. And I, a guy who should be threatened by you, will be by your side because I know this is God's will. Next, it's hardship. God will use hardship in your life. Then the Ziphites came up to Saul at Gibeah, said, is David not hiding with us in the strongholds in the woods? I know where he's at. In the hill of Hechari, which is on the south of Jeshimon. Now therefore, O king, come down according to all the desire of your soul to come down. And our part shall be to deliver him into the king's hand. It's like poor David, right? It's just one thing after another. Hunted, Caleb, Philistines, wilderness, wilderness. Somebody turns him over. Somebody talks about it. This constant bombardment of hardship. But God will use that in your life to build his will into your life and form the type of character you and I need. There's the question. Are you seeking God's will or your own will? And Saul says, blessed are you among the Lord. You've had compassion on me because I couldn't find him. Please go find out for sure. See the place where, where his hideout is and who has seen him there. I'm told he's very crafty. See therefore and take knowledge of all the lurking places he might hide and come back to me with certainty and I will go with you. All around this area, there are caves he could be hiding in, lurking places he might be in, and remember, all of this is our key takeaway. The thing I want you to think about all week is in my hardship, in my wilderness, with the people that are surrounding me, God, what does it look like for me to seek after your will, not my own? Whether I'm in a cave or a wilderness, I want to know what you want to do in my life. I was on a phone call this week and I talked to a friend of mine who had this exact experience. She's been in a Bible study here at Horizon with several women and she's asked the women in her group to help her with a colleague at work that just has been treating her so harshly and bitterly for years. Well, the circumstances happened that this colleague sent a nasty note about my friend, just trashing her up and down. But this rival of my friend made the mistake of emailing it, not to the rest of the office, but accidentally emailing it to the friend she was cutting down. (gasps) My friend gets this email and is just shocked. She knew this person didn't like her, but wow, in black and white, just line after line after line after line, just cutting her and trashing her down. She immediately calls her on the phone. My friend does says, I just got this email from you where you are just cutting me down. Is this how you feel about me? (gasps) The friend is horrified that she accidentally sent this email to the person she was talking about. Now, have you ever done something like that? Maybe not that bad, but you're like, oh, I'm so glad somebody didn't find out what I said. So she begins to apologize to my friend. I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. Blah, 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 blah. After this kind of long soliloquy of apologies that sound a lot like, I'm sorry I got caught, more than I'm really genuinely sorry, there's a pause in the conversation. And this rival turns to my friend on the phone and says, do you have anything to say? And My friend said, you know what? We all make mistakes and we all fail. That's it? The rival turned to her and said, oh my goodness, that is so gracious of you. I I don't think anyone's ever said something so nice to me when I didn't deserve it. That's grace. That's grace. As I was talking on the phone, I said, well, that didn't come from you. She's like, it didn't come from me. That must have come from the Holy Spirit as he was speaking through me. And she began to find God's grace God's will, seeking God's kingdom in that circumstance, came from unusual people. It came from a wilderness email. But in that, she said, God's been growing me. And this was the exclamation point on that. Seek God's will to extend his grace to the people around you. Let me pray that God will give you courage to do just that. Father, thank you for the hardships and the challenges in our life show us how we can extend your grace to others and seek after you in jesus name amen